Hello, happy holidays, and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. In this episode, this is the fight of our lives. As you know, if you've listened to the show before, I am TK, a high school humanities teacher, and what I do here at There Was an Idea is take one film of the MCU at a time and dig into concepts and themes with a unique guest or guests each week. But for Avengers Endgame, both the culmination of the Infinity Saga in the MCU and the culmination of our analysis of identity and community and our exploration of what it means to be an Avenger here at the podcast, it felt only fitting to do something a little different. Right now, you're listening to the first of two parts in which you'll hear me discuss Endgame with different guests in segments. In this episode, you'll hear from longtime friend of the podcast, Rob Carrera, who is back to expand on the ideas he began sharing in our Infinity War episode. You'll also hear from Age of Ultron guests, Emily, Rachel, and Brooke, who have some very funny stories to share about seeing Endgame in the movie theater. And in between those two segments, you'll be introduced to a brand new voice to the podcast, my friend Kevin Lockwood, who has spent the past few months watching the entire Infinity Saga, shares his first impression of Endgame. As always, you can follow the podcast for updates and fun extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the episode. Rob Carrera, hello. Welcome back. I can't believe you had me back, Tara. I'll be honest. Either, you know what? Either the people love me or maybe... Maybe I'm just that good. I don't know. But either way, I'm, I'm ecstatic to be back. Thank you so much for having me. They said, forget Iron Man, forget Captain America. Robbie Baby is our Robbie number Baby's one here. superhero. Especially <laughs> if I could get a shield, then it's over. But I'm looking <laughs> into the market. I haven't found any good pricing yet. So thanks for joining me once again to talk about the MCU. It feels like most of what we do nowadays. And you're the, you're the person who I wanted to start diving into Endgame with because you were, of course, my guest for Infinity War. And when we spoke about that movie, you talked about how unique it was to have a film that ended with the heroes losing. And of course, Endgame is the movie then that deals with that fallout and, and kind of that where do we go from here moment. Uh, one thing that reminded me a lot of the conversation that we had regarding the heroes and specifically what they've had to sacrifice is actually I was I was revisiting some of the trailers that were released before the movie came out. Mm -hmm. And there was one that used the tagline, it's not about how much we lost, it's about how much we have left. Yeah. And uh, that, that really kind of reminded me of our conversation and kind of felt like... Um, I, a, a good way to kind of start off our conversation here tonight. So the perfect segue, frankly, that's like exactly what we were talking about. <laughs> so we had talked about what it means to be an Avenger and we talked about what the heroes give up and uh, talked a little bit about the extent to which they possibly gain from being a part of the team. And, and your take on that was like that, in your opinion, really not much at all. And uh, so I'm kind of curious. So moving from looking at Infinity War to moving into Endgame now and revisiting Endgame, uh, have any of your thoughts related to these questions about Avengers and heroes and sacrifice, have any of your thoughts changed? I, I, that's a great question, Tara. And I just want to say, say first, I saw online the other day the kind of quote, if you could erase your memory and rewatch anything again, what would it be? I think this would be up there, mm -hmm. but I would still want these recordings of the podcast because I would want to see if my insights are the same. That would be really interesting. Ooh, Is cool. Robbie Baby consistent? I'd love <laughs> to see that. But I'll be honest, just I really appreciate that you had that quote because you're right. It really does sum up, I think, the entire arc of really the Avengers story. 
the whole sense of we're not, you know, basically we're just fighting for what we have left, right? It's not a fight to gain anything. Even in Endgame, this whole, well, you know, is there a possibility to get everyone back? Let's pursue it. And that's the entire arc of the movie. I, 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 you know, I don't want to skip to the end, but if I can, you know, it's not that story. They don't get everyone back. Even the people they get back, you know, Spider-Man has that amazing moment where like, oh my God, like what happened? Did I pass out? Like I, all of a sudden I started like disintegrating. What happened? What and like, you know, all Tony can do is just hug him because how do you express to him all of those emotions of loss and joy of having him back after so many years, right? Of being gone. But at the same time, you know, they don't get everyone back. You know, uh, we lose uh, quite a few characters. You know, the obvious one is Tony. I think he gets the most coverage, as he should. You know, a real amazing hero's goodbye. Um, so that's a permanent, you know, uh, goodbye that I think the writing did a really amazing job with. You know, the Black Widow whole story, you know, and it's interesting what her movie is going to look like considering yeah. that Hulk and, you know, he wasn't able to bring her back and neither was in Tony's attempt to use the stones. I don't know how, how much this is talked, if at all. So if this is fresh insight, I would love to take all the credit. Ooh, but this literally happened to me on the drive back home today when I was prepping to, I think I do my best thinking in the car because, which is maybe dangerous. Like I should be thinking <laughs> driving, but it is what it is. I was really reflecting on Captain America's end scene mm-hmm. and how they basically wrote him off. But in a sense, I'm like, did they? Because in his new arc of going back and living his life, right, with Peggy and, you know, essentially going back to the time where he returns the Infinity Stone, I'm actually sitting here thinking, is Marvel clever enough to do that so now they can perhaps use him in like a Cold War movie, right? Mm. Like, is that actually a dead end? I don't necessarily know that. Um, Also, because, you know, you always hear, and I don't know if, you know, the Marvel would necessarily prescribe to this. There's a few mentions to it. Like, you don't want to mess with the past, right? You have to leave it exactly how it is, which is why, for instance, when they have to get the the specific stone from Quill, from his arc, they have that funny moment where they just knock him out, right? (laughs) And then it's assumed that they put the stone right back and he wakes up and he gets it again. And then we have the normal galaxy movies, right? But with, you know, Captain America going back, what does that change about literally, you would argue, any and all of the movies, right? Like, that's an enormous thing to change. So I am wondering, I would love personally to see a Cold War movie, right? Like Captain America Cold War, right? Just sounds an amazing ring to it. Totally. Um, especially if you consider, like, he has all of those insights, right, of the future going back to the past, right? So it's amazingly ironic that he was awoken, like, what, 50, 60 years later? Now he gets to go back and he has all of this insight of the future. It's technically a complete 180. So I really thought that was an amazing, you know, story trend. And again, maybe that's nothing. Maybe it's, there's nothing there, but I think a really interesting thread to see if at all Avengers fans want it picked at, if the writers pick at it, right. As a way, like, you know, just to, for the future of the franchise. Um, Cause it would be really sad to completely see, Captain Rogers go, obviously knowing that the Captain America figure still lives on, right? right the way right, that right. they did the passing of the shield was a very beautiful moment. Um, and I don't want to take anything away from that. So those are just some of those insights into just rewatching the movie now again for, to be honest, like the hundredth time, it feels <laughs> like, but in a positive way, of course, like something that I didn't really appreciate 
Because again, like at the end of a movie, you're expecting them to tie off all these threads. Well, perhaps is this a new beginning that we don't even realize is emerging out of the ashes, you know? Yeah. Once you mess with timelines and create, uh, you know, different paths for Mm -hmm. your characters that can somehow exist without canceling out the other one, right? So like our version mm-hmm. of Steve has has existed. And my take on it has been, because I, I think when some people first saw that, it feels like, wait, so all of these amazing things that we've seen Steve do, did, did he not do them? All right. But I, I mm-hmm. think yeah. my understanding based on the conversation that Banner has when um, when Scott Lang and Rhodey are kind of like goofing about Bill and Ted's excellent adventure and back to the future and, yeah, and, yeah. and you know, that kind of thing. And, and Branner says, no, changing the past doesn't change the future. If you travel to the past, that past becomes your future and your former present becomes the past. And then there's the scene with uh, the ancient one from Dr. Strange mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. with uh, Banner as well. And so I think the way that they play with time and timelines here is interesting because it kind of suggests that across these different universes, all of these things can kind of coexist. So mm. in in um, the timeline in which Cap goes back, like as you said, with all of that knowledge of the future, which is such a beautiful inversion of the fact mm-hmm. that he didn't have knowledge of his past, which is just, again, right. like t- thinking about the writing and the intricacy, like mind-blowing, right? How, yeah. how these these connections. But yeah, in, in that other timeline, what does Steve do? Does he have these other adventures, like you're saying? And and is that an opportunity that we could see some of those adventures play out in, in yeah. future films? If if Chris Evans is no longer playing the character, maybe they bring it to, to the animated world or whatever they do. Mm-hmm. But it's a really interesting thought. Because I, I mean, I don't know if this is going to be super just not at all relevant, but considering that you know, obviously say what you will about how Captain Rogers becomes a quote unquote superhero, that he always had the moral compass and moral fiber and all he needed was like the superhuman strength because he was always a hero all along, you know, mm. I, I think it would be really interesting. Like genetically, can he have kids? Would his mm. offspring be s- some still sort of superhuman? Again, like do we have a Captain America Jr.? I don't know. It's just like these are obviously things I think about at night, you know, um, <laughs> that I hope you know, could always be, because again, this, that's, and again, we've had this conversation. That's what Marvel does. They have this incredible ability to just do such a beautiful job of writing these stories so that you're thinking about them, even when they're over and what could be, and even what could have been right. Yeah. So that's something I also thought about that. Obviously, if that's a direction they want to take it in, you know, fans would eat that up. They would love that. It would be a separate arc, totally. but those are some of my insights. And I don't know if this is a good segue, my favorite part of the movie does involve Captain America. So I think we've already discussed it, but, and if you don't like that scene, okay, we're probably not going to be friends, whatever. <laughs> but the moment where he is able to summon Mjolnir, right? Oh, yeah. The hammer of Thor. And again, because I said it in the previous episode, literally Odin whispers in the hammer, he who be worthy, again, no names, right? It says he who be worthy, may he have the power of Thor, not even Thor himself. And it really is just like a beautiful full circle journey that Cap has just been literally the most righteous character in this story at every step, right? And again, like even at that battle with Thanos where he's literally the last one left, right? Yeah. And he's like slowly getting up. He looks like a literally a retired veteran, right? He's like, oh my Mm -hmm. God, like how many times do I have to do this? And all hope seems lost. He just doesn't stop. Again, because of that whole theme of he's just fighting 
so others don't keep losing. Because at that point, if you really think about it, like Cap's got nothing. Like he never really did, right? When you wake up 60 years later, I, I don't really think you make an argument that you're ever fighting for yourself. You know, mm-hmm. like you're just fighting for values. You're fighting for others. I know we talked about the other movies where the, you know, the, those, those accords really changed, I think, Captain America's perspective in Civil War on the government and how he trusts others. So again, I just think he had such an easy out, but that he stood up and still fought for others, you know, it's just a beautiful moment where he's able to summon the hammer and obviously Thor's amazing comment, like, I knew it, you know, like <laughs> such a funny, perfect comment for him to make because you really did feel the sense that he did know all along yeah. that Captain America was just such an incredible superhero who was worthy. Um, so that was that was just my favorite. I'll talk about my second favorite moment just really quickly. Yeah, sure. Um, upon rewatching. I think it's kind of the way Banner comes to terms with his identity awesome, and is right? Hulk, but is Banner. I don't know if that's really talked about enough. We're like, think about him in every single movie. It's at the backdrop, like the monster inside, right? And not being able to, you know, control it. And even in Ragnarok, those kind of funny moments were like, Thor's like, oh, I prefer you, the beast. But then like Banner, he needs his smarts. Oh, I prefer you, the, you know, book smart guy. <laughs> He's never really appreciated as like one or the other. Like, you know, it's almost like people are people are always trying to use him for a specific purpose, either his brain or his brawn, right? Right. But that he's able to merge the two and just be one with himself and be kind of the best of both worlds of the yin and the yin and the yang, I think is really beautiful, right? It's just kind of him, you know, coming to terms with who he is as a person, his inner demons, and being his best self. So Totally. It's not something that's very explicit, but what uh, more and more I watch, I really have come to appreciate how they handled that. And yeah. the, even especially in the acting too, I think, you know, he did a fantastic job with that. Yeah, he's wonderful. And I and I completely agree. A really nice way to end his arc for mm-hmm. this Infinity Saga. And I, I don't know if we'll, we'll see Ruffalo playing the character again in the future. Right. Maybe we will, maybe we won't, but I thought it with was really well done. With all due respect to Ruffalo, he kind of set the bar that you don't need a six pack to be Hulk. That's right. So I am <laughs> available in case Marvel, you know, is looking for a, a stand up guy. You know, I'll put my uh, I'll put my application in. But no, seriously, I agree with you. Ruffalo kind of played that perfect mixture of he kind of having a dark side, but being such a smart, good guy. Yeah, when he was better. You know. The other thing I was thinking about going into this conversation with you, reflecting on our previous discussion was a really interesting point that you made when we talked about Infinity War. Um, You said that you wondered if, if, uh, had Thanos invaded pre-Civil War, would the Avengers have been victorious, right? That it was all about timing. And I thought that was really cool how you kind of brought that, that into it, um, that it was a, it was a matter of timing in many ways that resulted in Thanos being able to beat the Avengers. So I guess then the question I would kind of pose to you is clearly the events of Infinity War were necessary for mm. us to get the events of Endgame in so many ways. But what's different now? But like, what's changed? To quote Banner, the band's back together. That's it. <laughs> it's just they get everyone back together. Um, and by the way, I will double down. If this is Vegas, I will double down. I think if this is pre-Civil War... I think Thanos is defeated the first time around. Yeah. I'll just say that. Am I wrong? Probably. But you know what? <laughs> I'm going to stick to my gun. Yeah, only you made because, a compelling case last time. Yeah, I only because, yeah, upon rewatching Civil War, and and I again, I'd argue especially Captain's arc, 
you really sometimes underappreciate what a leader he was Mm -hmm. because he's like, you know, a man, you know, like just really humble, righteous, trying to always do the right thing. And Tony, in his own eyes, was doing the same thing, right? Just saw it differently. But you don't you don't really appreciate the leadership of those two until they're literally fighting each other, right? And literally, they split the Avengers, right? They are literally splitting the Avengers in half on two sides. You're either for or against them. So I think that was something that should be lost, right, in the arc. Um, but I think in Endgame, you know, you know, frankly, again for Thanos, they never fought. They're going back to a time where Thanos never fought the first time. So, you know, certain events and the way it went, the certain heroes aren't there. You know, just things play out differently. And again, I don't want to take anything away from the writing. It was very, very clever, especially the Ant-Man arc, the way they bring that back in. Totally. Um, But it's almost, it's funny because I think that movie at points reflects the conflict of past versus present, right? Like, how do we reconcile with knowing your, or your future or your certain present? And then like the demons of your past, right? Um, it, I just thought that was an interesting point too. There, there's the battle with Thanos at one point. He's like, I don't even know you, right? Like there's just, yeah. they're just trying to kill him. And, and it seems random at that point. But again, that's because of the naivety of him that he hasn't actually been through uh, Infinity Stones. And I, I, but I think I'll just say again, I'll just quote Banner. You know, the band got back together. I think they're just, now that they had this huge issue of Thanos, because again, I think in Infinity War, you have the struggle of pride, right? Tony not wanting to call Cap, of just fragmented, you know, allies. But after Infinity War, they realize, okay, Thanos, we just, we're all for Thanos, right? It's like, it's all having a common enemy. Like, think World War II. It was sure. just the Nazis. We got to fight the Nazis. Everything else kind of was brushed to the side, right? All the other issues, honestly, of like racism, inequality, there seemed to just be a bigger issue at hand, which was the Nazis, right? Maybe something similar here where, you know, other issues, of course, but Thanos was the the main one. Perhaps that's part of it. Because I think I, I think that that has me now thinking too, right? You had brought up about, you know, civil wars, the fracturing. And then in this movie, we get some nice imagery mm-hmm. recalling civil war. Again, inversions of what we saw in civil war with Tony handing over a shield to Cap and saying, I made it for you, right? And they shake hands and it's that inversion of the fracturing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the bringing yeah. it back together that enables them to do this thing. And it's the and it's the putting the pride to the side, right? When we see they're all in very different places in their lives so many years in the future, but we see that they're able to, uh, you know, for people like Tony, he he kind of has to be able to put aside some of, of his maybe more selfish desires. And I don't mean selfish in a Absolutely. bad way, but right, his the family that he's built. And then for other people like Steve and Natasha, right, it's, it's no coincidence that they're the two who are sitting in the headquarters alone Right. With this kind of tunnel vision to what have we been working on these past five years? Right. Mm -hmm. Because he even says something about how he he tells her that uh, he's he's been telling people to kind of move on and grow in the therapy group he runs, but he's not doing it himself. Right. And she's not Mm -hmm. doing it either. And uh, he he says, like, we, we should get a life. Right. But for the two of them. They, they've just been so focused on this and maybe because they don't have anything else, right? Like she, yeah. like you were saying about him and, and like you were, like I think we brought up before about Natasha, right? And she even says in this movie that this this was her family. This was her reason for mm-hmm. trying to do good. Interesting. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> and I, and just to quickly add, now I really appreciate you saying that. I think that's some great insight. I also think that the loss of Peter Parker mm. for Tony is such a breaking point where he frankly is just so committed. 
I mean, obviously in the beginning, there's like real hesitance by him. He's like, let's just move on. Like he has his you know daughter, he's moved on, he's built a life. But I think that still nags at him because at frankly, at that point of the movie, he really did become like a father figure for yeah. Peter. And I think that still nags at him. And perhaps the nagging is really that he was so prideful and didn't ca- uh, contact Cap earlier. And maybe internally... He sees that as why they lost, right? Where they just weren't unified in fighting Thanos. So perhaps that was at play because, again, you see that moment where Peter Parker is just disintegrating in his arms is just such a powerful moment that we've talked about right on your podcast. So I think that is actually still really, really at the forefront of his decision making of why he recommits eventually. Yeah, great insight. I think that's true. And we're going to dig into each of these characters a little bit deeper in uh, <laughs> in uh, the, the segments coming up in the episode. Rob, before you and I wrap up, wrap up, before you and I wrap up. Wrap up, before we wrap up. <laughs> Love that. Are there any other takes, hot, cold, otherwise, that you'd like to share about Endgame? I want to give you the chance to share any other things that may be on your mind. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Tara. It's almost funny because... You know how hard it is to pick like a favorite Avenger, right? Oh my gosh, like, yes. Thinking about it, or even like a favorite like moment. I actually think it'd be easier to talk about like your least favorite. Maybe are there any Avengers I actually don't like? You know, like or that just didn't gel as well as I thought or hoped they would. Sure. Maybe it's unfair because some of them, you know, their plot lines aren't as big, right? Et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not even saying I have an answer. I almost want to ask you, like, have you thought at all about that? Like, <laughs> who's maybe your least favorite? He had to say that only because, there, sorry, I will clarify. The reason I bring it up, Thanos is not at the bottom. I am, <laughs> I, I know I seem like a dictator and a terrible person, but I think the way Marvel constructed Thanos totally, and his role in the arc, he actually might be one of like my top characters. I cannot really recall a movie where it was so obvious that I actually felt bad for the villain. It's just, it was just incredible. It was an incredible experience to really go through that. So I don't know. It's That's why it's so interesting. Like he actually might be one of my favorite characters. Yeah. You know? and, and even in this movie, his end game, his, his goal, so yeah. to speak, uh, when he, when he comes into the current timeline for lack of a better mm-hmm. term, right. Is that he's going to destroy this world to create a new one. And even mm-hmm. like we talked about last time, right, the, the the means are not something that we feel we agree with, but the end of saying, hey, what would it be like if we were able to start fresh, right? None of us, himself included and the Avengers included, would be there. It would be a new world that wouldn't have, uh, he says it so nicely, um, funny again to say he says it so nicely as yeah. a villain, but he's- he, What a nice guy. They wouldn't, <laughs> they wouldn't have knowledge of what they lost, right? Only only they would have appreciation for what they'd been given. So again, once again, we're seeing his his goals are not things that are in and of themselves, uh, you know, morally villainous, right? Uh, right. And, that, and I think like we talked about last time, that's part of what makes him so, so interesting. You're right, he really doubles down on what he thinks is right in his eyes for the greater good. He knows who he is. He knows what he wants. He knows how he's going to get it. It's it's pretty it's pretty astonishing. And to your question, you know, doing this this project of, of I, I think before this I would have said that maybe Hawkeye was was maybe my least favorite Avenger or Oh, I, poor guy. <laughs> because he only can shoot a bow. Oh, poor guy. All he can shoot a but bow. But I I've 
I've softened on him a lot, and especially having just rewatched Endgame again, you know, he he's really got got a really interesting arc as well. You know, again, he doesn't get as much screen time and, and right. not as much built into it, but that's what I appreciate about these movies too, is that even the, the characters that you spend less time with have really nice, um, well-plotted arcs that make sense. And, but again, like, like I said previously, and I'll stand by it, I think the writing, and I don't even mean of this movie, like you have to consider the entire story, right? Like, all the movies yeah. leading up to it, and like I, I would especially say the three to four movies directly leading up to it. Yeah, it all make it does all make sense, right? The the end point or the end game, it's like a tree. It has all these different branches and dots, but at the end of the day, it does come to like one central root, yeah, and one central point, and it makes sense. Rob, thank you so much as always for sharing your insights into this world. And of course. Thank you, Tara, so much for having me. You know I love coming onto the show and, <laughs> and talking shop about Avengers. You kidding me? I love it. So we're going from one of There Was an Idea's mainstays, our friend Rob, to a brand new voice on the podcast. This is my friend and yet another history teacher. We can't get enough of them here. This is Kevin Lockwood. Thanks for having me, Tara. I really appreciate it. I, I don't know if I could live up to what Rob has been on the podcast, uh, you know, fill those shoes, but I'm excited and, and I love the movies. So it's cool to talk about. Thank you. Thanks so much, Kevin. Thanks for joining me for my Endgame coverage. And it really feels very fitting, to be honest, because I had reached out to you when I first began this project about five months ago. And at that time, you told me that you hadn't yet seen the movies. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey with the MCU and, and how it's brought you here today? Yeah, when you first reached out in July, I had never seen any of them. And so now I've seen them all. But when you first reached out, it was kind of at a time obviously during COVID where I had time to watch movies and I was looking for something to watch. I had just finished, I forget what it was. It might've been a season of Homeland and I was kind of going back and forth between continuing to watch that or starting something new. And I don't watch a lot of movies, but I decided to go right in with Iron Man and I ended up watching them all. Um, you know, some weeks I would watch three of them, some weeks I would two in a night. Um, and then once school started, I would go, you know, a couple weeks without watching them. And then, Around Thanksgiving, I finished up. I caught all the way up with Homeland to the present season. And so I just had the Marvel movies and I watched the last four or five of them in about three or four days. And I um, actually had just gotten a new TV. <laughs> and so the first movies that I watched on that TV were Infinity uh, Infinity War up until Endgame. So it, it's been awesome. I, I really like them. And I think one thing that I, I noticed early on is that, like everybody kind of has a different relationship with the movies. Like, you always know what's going on. And <laughs> I I rarely know really what's going on, but yet I still enjoy them so much. So it just kind of shows that these movies are made for everybody, which is cool. Yeah, definitely. And it's been really fun being on the receiving end of some texts from you every so often over the past few months about which one you just watched and what your feelings are. And I'm really excited to, to hear your perspective on Endgame because, as you said, I, I like to get a balance of people who are new to this franchise, maybe new to superheroes or comic book movies at all, uh, versus some of my other guests uh, have been, you know, fans for life. So I like getting that different balance of perspective. And yours is unique because you just watch them all for the first time in, in kind of a relatively short period. So I'm definitely curious to, to hear a little bit more about, you know, what was your first impression of Endgame as the culmination of everything that you had watched up to that point? Yeah, well, going into it, it was the first time I think I went into one of the movies definitely with really high expectations. Mm -hmm. The other ones, you know, it's not like I had waited 
six months for them to come out. I would watch one and then I'd be able to go right ahead and watch the next. But with Endgame and, you know, seeing that it's the highest grossing film of all time, I definitely had high expectations and I really wasn't disappointed. Um, I thought they did it right. I thought it was really creative. You know, we talked a little bit already about how like that middle hour Mm -hmm. is just incredible. And I think you called it like the payoff, like for watching all the movies and having just watched all of them and then to see that middle hour where they go back in time so many different times and so many different places. I mean, it was awesome. And just the idea that I feel like the Marvel series, and that's the only comic movies that I've ever seen too, um, but I feel like it's all about like change and growth and, and this just showed that. There's no better way to shape uh, show that change and growth than sometimes going and seeing themselves in the past. Like Cap goes back and sees himself. Right. Or, Thor going back and seeing his mom and her being like, man, the future, the future wasn't kind to you. <laughs> right. um, I just thought the way they did Endgame was awesome. Um, I couldn't have thought of a better way to do it. And it was also unique because it was three hours. The other movies, they, they were pretty strict. I felt like two hours to two hours and 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And they gave it that extra time, but it, it flew by. Yeah, it, it almost feels like three different segments, right? And, and I guess most movies follow a, a kind of a three-act narrative structure anyway, but the first hour, the second hour, and the third hour in this movie really do, in a way, feel like distinct experiences in some ways. Sometimes I go back to it and I just watch like one of the segments and, and experience it that way, which is pretty cool. But I'm struck by what you're saying about this idea of, of these movies and specifically this one showing change and growth and things like that. You know, we teach history classes. And that's one of the things we talk about all the time is this idea of change versus continuity over time. And it's really cool to see. And as you said, especially in that middle hour, when the characters are faced with an earlier version of themselves, right? To think about what has changed and what has stayed the same. It's really cool. Yeah, it's so well done. And there's laughter in it. You want to cry at some points. So, you know, not all the scenes are the same either. Some of them were like, celebration you had tony talking to his dad which had a different feel so they're all unique too they all had the same premise that they went back in time but everything every one of those scenes had something different for you and and something different for the viewer which which was really enjoyable i totally agree and i guess on that topic do you have a favorite yeah so in that hour there's several that i love but even before that hour i'm gonna say two that i really liked if that's okay the first one is when they're going back to get Thor, um, and he's in Asgard, and Asgard looks like it maybe looks like the town that I grew up in, which is kind of funny seeing that. And he's obviously been drinking a lot. He's clearly drinking to forget, and, and I think we we all know, or maybe we all don't know, but a lot of people know that that never really solves the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's a short-term solution, and so you can see that he's gotten fat. But I definitely really enjoyed that scene because it, it was comedic relief. I mean, I, I think Rocket was there. But it was just going back in there and Thor was talking to the kids, the gamers online. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, I'm, I'm the God of Thunder. I'll come, you know, I'll come get you. And, um, you know, everything in that scene was was pretty funny. And so that scene I found sad, but funny as well. But then probably my favorite scene, and I wouldn't be surprised if this is other people's favorite scene, um, was Natasha and Clint fighting over who would sacrifice themselves. I just thought that that scene was... Um, what the Avengers is all about. Like, and those two, and, and some people might see my view and be like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And they're right. I don't, but I feel like those two are always just a little bit more committed to what they're doing 
than maybe everybody else, especially Natasha, but Clint too. And so to see them literally, they kind of look at each other and they realize like, we're thinking different things. We're both thinking that we're the one who should sacrifice for the betterment of, of mankind at that point to bring back half the people, I guess. And so they literally fight it out over who gets to die. And like, what an incredible scene. You know, he's holding on to her eventually. It reminded me of the, Titan- the Titanic a little bit. <laughs> it does a little, right? <laughs> yeah, like, let me go. And, uh, you know, no, I'm not going to let go. And, and then he does. And, and obviously, um, I guess they end up getting that stone because of that. That's the process they had to go through. That's the process that Thanos went through with his daughter, right? And I also felt like it was a great scene because it's kind of a turning point in the movie. Um, that's the first point where you start to feel like the Avengers are starting to win. It felt mm-hmm. like they thing from like the middle of Infinity War all the way up through the middle of Endgame. And now it seems like the tables are starting to turn and, and they're going to get all the stones. And I just love that scene. It's, it's, it's an awesome scene. That one is definitely a contender. And I agree with you that I feel like it's after that scene that you kind of shift into the final act or final segment of the movie. Our big, you know, of course, you get the, the big Uh, battle as the climax after that but it is a turning point as you said I love that insight because it's kind of one of the lowest moments they just lost one of their own and as you said one of their own who as we saw in that earlier scene with Natasha and Steve at the headquarters she was so committed to this she worked on this this that whole five years Uh, it was really a matter of everything for her the Avengers were her family and they 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 hit that point a couple of times and they they lost her but at the same time things are starting to look up because it was through that sacrifice that they got that last stone that they needed yeah and it just seemed like it was it was her choice to make the sacrifice it's not like they they forced her to do it or they knew from the beginning that she was gonna have to be the one mm-hmm. the very last moment they tried to well, at least clint tried to stop her um from doing that i i kind of have a quick question as far as like scenes go because in general with the entire series and again this is probably surface level but like there's different types of scenes. There's bat- the battle scenes that some people love. I'm not as into those. There's like story building and there's funny scenes. Do, do you prefer the battle- big battle scenes? Or are you one of those people? Not particularly. I will say that in this franchise, there are some of the battle scenes, some of the action scenes that are visually really compelling to me. And I wouldn't say that they were like the first things I noticed though. I've seen the movie so many times and I think the things that I noticed first and the things that got me into the movies would have been more of the story building and the character moments. And then upon watching them so many times, I've brought new eyes and like a new appreciation to some of those bigger set pieces where you actually sometimes you get like little character details in there as well, which are cool to look out for. And, And some of the choreography and stunt work really is extremely impressive. And how they shot some of the stuff is extremely impressive. So I've come to appreciate it as I watch them now, but I wouldn't say that was the initial draw for me. Whereas some people, that's the draw, right? It's like, I'm here for the action. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I know for some people that those are the scenes that they love. Even thinking about like other movies, I'm trying to think like Lord of the Rings, I feel like. Sure. But people love the action scenes and that that's what it was all about. Like, oh, that scene, that hour battle scene. I've never been, you know, as into those. I like the story building more as well, but... I can definitely see if you are into that, how this would be the movie for you and then obviously the franchise for you. Absolutely. And the huge fight scene where all of the characters come back through the portals. Those are such exciting moments. 
and again for me personally maybe less because of the actual fighting going on and more because of the character like the characters that you're getting to see again and stuff like you know captain america holding his shield and the hammer at the same time right so that kind of stuff is really um again kind of a payoff for the character arcs that you've been following all along yeah i had that last uh the scene that you just mentioned i had that one written down too when they're all back together and it's like it's almost like it's the final act and they're coming out to kind of take a bow together. I mean, I know more has happened than that, but it's probably the first and only time that you see all of those people together. And so it's it, that's a pretty cool scene, too. Yeah. And while we will continue to get more films and TV shows in the MCU, that was kind of the, the curtain call, if that's the correct term, on, you know, Chris Evans as Captain America and uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, at least. Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow, I should say. Her movie that's coming out is a prequel movie, so we will get to see the character again. But it's it's not the same. It's not her within the structure of the Avengers, right? So it feels it feels like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. <laughs> so you had said before that you kind of felt like that scene between Natasha and Clint kind of, to you, represents what the Avengers are all about. So that leads me to this question that we've continued to come back to, which is, you know, what does it really mean to be an Avenger? And I was curious if you had some thoughts on that. Yeah, I definitely do. I feel like it's evolved over time, over the, you know, from the beginning movies all the way up, obviously, to Endgame. But I feel like it was always supposed to be about, like, sacrifice and the the, the good of the general, you know, public or for the most amount of people, if you will, like trying to do what's right for everybody and trying to save the world, it seems like, constantly. But I feel like in Endgame it became even more about self-sacrifice and coming together as a team. And I think that because they had lost. And so when they lose an infinity war, I feel like they kind of had two paths to go as like a team. And it was either, and this is like with a, a sports team or even with a band, like when you go through something tough, you either break apart and you never mm-hmm. come back together or you come back stronger than ever and try and avenge the loss. And when you come back stronger than ever to try and avenge the loss, because you've lost, everybody realizes that they have to maybe give something up mm. eventually, if that makes sense. Kind of the idea that, like, what you did the first time didn't work. And there were some, uh, you know, I guess throughout the series, there's always times when, when some of them are selfish, whether it's um, Iron Man or Captain America. Um, at different times, they seem selfish. But now in this last movie, in kind of this final battle that they go into and in just the, the final two hours, everybody's willing to kind of maybe give up their ego, mm-hmm. give up something because last time they lost. So this time they have to do something a little bit better, a little more committed, whatever it is. In some of their cases, two of their cases, at least they have to be willing to give their lives with, with Iron Man and with, um, with Natasha in that scene. Um, so I just, I just felt like more than anything, they were willing to like, I don't know, go to the next level in this, in this movie. And, and that's always what the Avengers I felt like was about though giving up, sacrifice, betterment of everybody else. Yeah, thank you. I think that's really interesting insight. It's interesting because you haven't heard the conversation that I had with Rob for this Endgame episode. When he and I talked about Endgame, we we kind of came to some similar conclusions about their loss in Infinity War leading them to the moments in this movie in which they do put some of that ego and pride aside, especially between Tony and Steve talking about the actual moment where I forget the exact words, but like when, when Tony comes off the ship at the beginning of the movie, he's like, 
you know, I forget what he says, but something like Cap, I lost. And Cap was like, well, no, we, we lost. We you know? lost. Yeah, exactly. So coming back to that idea of, you know, one of the questions that I was interested in digging into a couple months ago was this idea of like, well, if you have a, a collective identity, right, if you have a team identity, to what extent does your personal sense of who you are sometimes maybe need to be sacrificed for that larger team? And is that good or is that bad? And that was kind of some of the question I was thinking about. Um, but I think what we see in this movie is that when Steve, when Tony put some of that individual pride aside, that's what allows them to come together and actually be victorious against Thanos this time, unlike the last time. So I, I do think that that it kind of, uh, in a way that I wasn't necessarily expecting, provides an answer, maybe not the only answer, but an answer to that question that I was so interested in to begin with. And didn't I didn't even really think at the time, I didn't have a foregone conclusion, if that makes sense. So it's been interesting to see how that's developed. Yeah, definitely. And, and over the course of especially these two movies, you really see it develop. And going back to Civil War, I think if I think of like three movies, I know Civil War is a little bit different, obviously, but that movie to Infinity Wars to Endgame and just that progression, that's, that's I think, where you really see it come full circle. Totally agree. And it's so satisfying. I've, I talk about this with Rob as well, but it's so satisfying to see how the writers the actors, everybody involved in this, like just really committed to make it feel like one long piece of art, of work, right? And the way that they are so connected. Just to go back to your original question about like my relationship with these movies, the thing that made it possible for me to watch all of them was um, that I just had to get a Disney Plus subscription. I mean, before that, I, I love the movies. I don't know if I would have, I'm a little cheap sometimes. I don't know if I would have... Um, to rent or buy all of them. I mean, when you think about 23 or 22 movies, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just a teacher. I don't have a <laughs> um, it's so funny that you say that because I was recently myself reflecting on that and thinking about how it's part, I don't know if I want to say it's part of what has made doing the podcast possible, but it's definitely been something that has facilitated the process of doing the podcast that they're all on there because I had had some on you know not even blu-ray dvds um i had had some on dvds and nice. i have since gotten a couple of the blu-ray sets but i certainly don't own physical copies of all of these movies and it's uh even with physical copies and uh my my friends over at the mcu need to know podcast have actually talked about this before that sometimes it's it kind of speaks to where we're at nowadays but like the idea of even taking out the discs and finding the discs and putting the disc in and all of that it takes that extra level of commitment so it's really been quite easy to be able to turn on the disney plus and it's right there and you resume it and it's incredible i've watched so i watched endgame the first time and then i watched it again um kind of late last week into the weekend and then I actually watched part of it again today. And, um, you know, just lightly, I wasn't paying. I, I never pay close attention to anything. <laughs> I was paying good enough attention. But, you know, I, I wouldn't have been able to watch it three times if I didn't have, you know, like you said, if I had to literally take a CD out or DVD out, I, I wouldn't have done that. But it was just the easiest thing to click on and watch again. I knew we were talking today. So, yeah, the idea of being able to stream all those so easily is just it, it's kind of a treat. Yeah, making connections to what we're teaching about in classes. Today, I was working with my 10th grade students on the essential question of benefits versus costs of innovation. And uh, <laughs> that, that sounds like a great example. Streaming services is certainly one that you could dig into. 
So, Kevin, <laughs> currently, speaking of work, currently you are in quarantine due to due to exposure. You're healthy, though, so that's a good thing. Yep, feeling good. <laughs> um, and I know that the, the fact of this timing has uh, led you to make a few observations about Endgame related specifically to this experience. So I was uh, hoping you would share a little bit about that. Yeah, just just being in quarantine. I kind of think about it as the same way. Like sometimes people ask the question, like, who would you want to be stuck on a deserted island with? And so this was kind of similar with like, who would you want to be stuck in quarantine with? And and I hadn't thought too much about it. But I, I there was times when you look at some of these characters and you're like, if I had to spend more than 10 minutes with them, I might go crazy. Um, <laughs> like I would love to spend hours with that person. And so you know, just thinking about some of the different people that you'd want to be with and not want to be with. In, in this whole situation, I think comedic relief is important. Oh, so yeah. I would definitely want, want Rocket with me. I feel like I also have a small house. Like, I don't have a mansion here. Space, you know, <laughs> so that doesn't hurt. Um, seems like he's scrappy and, and would survive. But then, like, I think at the same time, like, I can never live with Tony Stark. Like, he's a narcissist. He, he just, you know arguing with him would make me go crazy and so i wouldn't want to live with thor thor seems like a mess i, I would want to live with i mean just in general i'd want to live with scarlett johansson so it's easy <laughs> to play. um but she's even intense for me sometimes you know mm-hmm. she's like so committed that sometimes you're like all right take it down and ask. but i think i think i wouldn't mind being stuck with her um and then if i had to you know quill i would take quill as well just because he's funny um, those are the people that I thought would be easiest to live with. I love I love your insight on that. So Rocket probably has my vote for funniest Avenger if we were going to talk about that. And there, it's it's tough competition. Quill is also funny. Quill would be arguing with you, though, about who gets to be the captain of the of the kitchen or whatever it may be. Um, <laughs> but all in good fun. Uh, but Rocket is a, a great choice. And I love what you said about him not taking up too much space. Because my initial reaction to this question was that I was going to choose the Banner-Hulk combination that we get in Endgame, but he would take up way too much space. So now I have to rethink that. <laughs> my reasoning for for him, and specifically, you know, unlike the character Valkyrie in this movie says that she preferred him either of the two other ways, I prefer him as the mix of both because I think that he's so funny in this movie. Uh, he's lightened up, right? banner as Jess Banner in the previous movies, had so much angst, right? He was really fighting with this thing inside of him. And, you know, Hulk on his own would be too much of a mess, uh, smashing everything around, right? But the combination in this movie, I think he's great. He's, he's like, lightened up. There's, like, a lightness to, to Banner. He's making jokes. Hey, well, like you said, you kind of got rid of his anxiety from Banner. You got rid of his anger problem from Hulk and, and you kind of find yourself somewhere in the middle. And, and I think you're right that like making him funny, you wouldn't have made, been able to do that in any other way. I don't think because Banner is not funny really. Right. A Hulk is obviously not funny. So <laughs> the only way you could do it is, is to have him fall in the middle. And that scene where he's taking the picture is, is funny. Yeah. It's like he's, he's let go of, of both sides of that, that those negative emotions of the anxiety and the anger. So he's, he's really a delight in this movie. And I'm a huge Captain America fan, really admire Captain America. I think he's wonderful. Love Steve. I don't know if he'd be my first choice for a quarantine, though. I don't know. I feel like he'd be so, he'd be like that type of person that would be putting you to shame because he'd be getting up and like he'd have such a regimented schedule 
and he would, you know, be exercising and all these things. And I would just be like, oh my gosh, Steve. Yeah. He'd be like, <laughs> you didn't do the dishes. You got to do the dishes. And be like, you know, come on. Don't tell me what's involved. He'd be giving like pep, pep talks, like speeches all the time. <laughs> um, but I do, I really like the imagery in this movie of, well, first of all, the Avengers headquarters seems like that would be a great place to be quarantined. You're making some peanut butter sandwiches with Natasha sounds like super lovely. She also, you know, in this movie, she's going through some stuff. She's a little intense, but she's had her moments in previous movies where she was a little bit lightened up. I think she'd be a ton of fun. And uh, I like the scene when she and Hulk and Tony are all just kind of like laying around like because they've been studying, like not that they've been studying, but it almost is like that image like that they've been studying all night, right? Because they're trying to figure out where the stones are. And that felt very much like they had a, a fun little community there that would be fun to be a part of. Right, right. Pulled the all-nighter for weeks at a time to try and figure out how to get the stones back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, uh, you know, Thor's friends, Korg and Meek. Yes. They'd be yeah. pretty fun too, I bet. You know, the only thing that I was kind of left with is, and, and I thought I could look into this, but I decided that I'm going to talk to Tara, so I'll just ask her, <laughs> where are they planning on going from here? Because I've heard a couple things just briefly that they're going more like just straight to streaming, and they're going to do some things like that. And then obviously, I, I think there's future movies, Phase 4, planning on coming out. And then what got me thinking about this is that last scene, and you just mentioned it, where... Um, they're fighting over who's the captain of the ship, and they're both like, we know who the captain is. <laughs> and they both kind of say it, or we know who's running the ship, whatever terminology they use. And so, like, I'd love to see those two kind of star in a movie again. But I was wondering, where are they going from here? What are they doing next? There are a ton of Marvel projects coming out, Marvel Studios specifically projects coming out. A few new movies based on other comic characters like The Eternals and Shang-Chi, uh, Black Widow would have already been out. The Eternals movie would have already been out, but they've pushed things back instead of letting those movies go straight to streaming. Um, the streaming content is going to be TV shows on Disney+. Plus. There's one called WandaVision that's coming out in January, and that is going to have, you know, focus on the characters of Wanda, the Scarlet Witch, and Vision. So that's going to be pretty fun. The trailers for that look really cool and unique. And there's going to be a Falcon and the Winter Soldier show focusing on Sam Wilson and Bucky coming out in March. So that sounds really exciting. But you will get to see the Guardians of the Galaxy again in a volume three coming up in a few years. There's also going to be a fourth Thor movie with Chris Hemsworth in it, as well as some of the other characters from previous Thor movies. And I heard that the Guardians are probably going to be in that movie too. Okay. So yeah, and and another Doctor Strange and another Spider-Man, another Captain Marvel, another Black Panther. Yeah, I, I knew they would obviously not stop at the movies. There's too much money to be made. Oh, yeah. It does kind of feel like after Endgame, like that's got to be the peak, you know? And besides the, the whole timing of like, you know, because that came out in the theaters in the spring of 2019, and which we now know is so, so soon, just about a year before all of the theaters closing down and everything like that. And our culture around going to the movie theater is changing completely. So I have to feel like with that shift in culture, you know, it feels like you're never really going to get an end game moment again. Yeah, no. And, and what you just said is, is so insightful too. Like with end game being the highest grossing film and things like that, it might always be the highest grossing film just because of the way theaters are never going to be the same. And yeah. I feel like everything's going to, even if things come out on the big screen, 
I wouldn't be surprised in the future if things move to, to streaming much sooner than they have in the past. Well, thank you, Kevin. This was a lot of fun. It, it, it's been it's been very satisfying. It feels like a, a, something coming full circle to actually have you on and do this interview with you because I've been following along with your journey and and not to give myself too much credit, but I feel a little responsible for you finally taking this journey. So, oh, without a doubt, thank you so much. And honestly, you should take whatever credit you want. <laughs> There's no chance that I watch these movies if you don't text me first of all. And if when you texted me, we weren't already in COVID and Disney Plus hadn't, you know, somewhat recently just come out. I mean, it was just, it was the perfect timing. And then on top of it, not to go down another rabbit hole, but I, I love podcasts. And so I was, you know, interested in obviously listening to your podcast. And then the fact that you had some of our colleagues on, whether it was Eddie or, or Chad, and obviously the star of the show, you know. And I know you had Aaron's story on, you know, listening to people that you actually know on the podcast. Mm-hmm even better than listening to strangers and so um, it kind of all fell into place perfectly but yeah it sounds like it was kind of the the perfect storm and again like we teach about like context right and everything coming together and here we are (laughs) all right so thanks again kevin thanks for having me tara all right so the squad is back i'm joined once again by emily calloway rachel genualdo and podcast cover artist Brooke Pender. Thank you all for joining me once again to talk about the Avengers. The last time we did this, we were talking about Age of Ultron. And I'm really, really glad that we're all able to come back together again, because in my opinion, Endgame makes Ultron a better movie in retrospect. There's so much groundwork laid in Ultron for how things end up in Endgame. So I think a good starting point for our discussion today is to maybe look at some of those connections between Ultron and Endgame, maybe moments of foreshadowing that later paid off or character development. Yeah, so one thing, one scene that I think of instantly is the scene when Tony is walking through the, he finds the big weapon thing and Wanda's like following him and then I don't know, she works for magic and makes him see everybody on the ground, kind of. He gets that vision of everyone dead. And then um, Captain America, like, kind of tells him that he basically could have saved them and didn't. And I feel like that scene is kind of, it shows his biggest fear of, like, what he thinks is going to happen if they don't stop Thanos, pretty much. Even though, I don't know if they knew at the time that it was Thanos, but the villain of the story, like after the events of New York, that's been Tony's fear throughout the entirety mm-hmm. of all the movies. So then that's where Endgame comes from is kind of just like, he knows he has to do it, even though he has a good life with Pepper and their child, he knows that he won't be able to rest until they get to the ending that avoids everyone dying. Ultron basically begins what Endgame ends Like, Ultron ends with Thanos saying, fine, I'll do it myself, Mm -hmm. as the end credit scene. And then Endgame is what he does. Well, Infinity War is really what he does, but Endgame is kind of the the results of what he's done and how they're going to fix it. Yeah, that's interesting. I I think that there's a lot, there's a lot that gets set up in Ultron that comes back into play in Endgame. A small example would even be Clint's family, right? As being something that we're introduced to in Ultron as a motivating factor for him. And then, of course, Endgame opens the way it does 
in the aftermath of Thanos's snap, his family being dusted, and we see how he deals with that. That was so sad <laughs> to watch. Like, yeah, that, no, that it was really was, sad. I think that was the only scene, like looking back, that almost made me cry. It was just like the silence and lack of music was really sad. I thought, yeah, especially when he turns around and oh, mm-hmm. oh, you see in the, the you see the kids and calling like, for them. Yeah, that tugged on my heartstrings i remember that the fact that it was like all of them too yeah yeah the dog even yeah what are the odds right imagine just like vibing and then you're just like cat disappears and you're like (laughs) where are you pedro dude i lose half of my turtles half of your turtles like how how many are there just two okay Um, but I think, yeah, as, as you said, Emily, I think it's really powerful that that opening scene of Endgame, uh, the lack of music as well, how silent it is. Yeah. And it really sets the tone for what Endgame is, is going to be. I mm-hmm. think that, you know, some other things that were on my mind as kind of connecting back to the conversations that we began in Ultron, a, a lot having to do with two characters in particular, who are, are, are two of my favorite characters, Natasha and Steve and... I'm seeing some excitement. <laughs> I love them. Sadness. That's all I have. So one of the things we talked about in the Ultron episode was some of the the foreshadowing, even in the imagery of Natasha and Steve on the rock and, and both of their being so willing to sacrifice their lives. And, and Natasha saying, what, uh, where else am I going to get a view like this? And, you know, that moment of connection for them and, and kind of a sad foreshadowing of, of what happens to her in this movie. You also see in Ultron, you know, her her moment of saying, I, I had this dream that I was an Avenger. And then in Endgame, when she talks with Steve at the at the headquarters, she she said, I used to have nothing, but then I got this, this job, this family, and I was better because of it. And even though they're gone, I'm still trying to be better. And then at her funeral, they're like, or not funeral they're like what family did she have and he's like we were her family yeah. yeah and then i didn't cry there but i could have cried i felt like it was so sad because it was kind of like there was this whole idea of found family with her and then in the end it's kind of just like she died because she thought she had no one still mm-hmm. like she she knew that it was her sacrifice that she wanted to make because Clint had a family and she didn't, but like the whole entire series is basically saying like, no, you're wrong. You do have a family. It's just, it's not a blood family. It's a family that you've made over time, especially with how different they are in the first Avengers to where they are in Endgame and Infinity War. It shows how much they've actually grown to not just deal with each other, but actually want to be with each other. And then continuing with that theme of family with her, I'm pretty sure that's what we're going to see in Black Widow with like, well, the sisters, the other Black Widows, but then also um, the one played by Florence Pugh. And oh, then I'm so excited for that. I know. <laughs> <Sorry. That's laughs> Me too. So Same. Um, but then I think their blood family, I think that's what they're going with there, but I'm not positive. But kind of going back to, well, she did have family, but the, her found family doesn't know that family. Mm-hmm. And now I'm kind of like, now that I'm talking, I'm thinking like, oh, maybe her blood family's dead. So oh, oh, that's no. going to be a sad one already. Yeah, that like, one. That movie. I'm also happy, hurt. though, because even if the character is dead in like the present movie time, 
she's not going to stop being present. Still live on in a different way, which I think is really nice. Yeah, I think what we're seeing even with the trailer for the Loki show is that because of the different timelines, the different universes created through the Pym Particles time hopping that happens in Endgame, uh, there are these opportunities to see characters existing in these alternate ways. So I'm really excited about that. And uh, certainly I think Black Widow is a character that we might see in that respect in, in addition to her prequel movie. So one of the things that we also talked a little bit about in our previous episode, and I'm curious to see if your perspectives on this have changed or develop once you con- uh, once you take Endgame into account as well. But we talked about the idea of what it really means to be an Avenger and the extent to which uh, sacrifice is a part of that. For what it means to be an Avenger, it's this whole new set of Avengers that we have met within Phase 3 and 4 that's now in this movie. Um, even if they're not there the whole time, they do show up in that end scene of Endgame. Haha. And so I feel like the Avengers have grown. Mm-hmm. Not in the same sense of the first Avengers where they all fight together kind of like as a team, but more of kind of like a club. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like at first they had this like one collective identity. And then, like you said, they've grown into more, especially with the end game, they've branched off and you really saw their own identities come through in the end. So I think that's a big part, too. Mm. It's like their own groups within yeah Ooh. individual okay so, i like, really like where you guys are going with this you have like guardians of the galaxy which exactly is their own group. and then um it's the not longer Panther crew, that's their own group and then you have the like dr strange time people mm-hmm. they're a group and so it's kind of these different i don't know if i don't think factions is the right word but kind like, of like um, factions coming together. yeah like puzzle pieces yeah mm. like puzzle. they're um the first avengers movie is just that little group it's also important to note that like each group is important in their own way like Mm -hmm. they are all essential to what they want to accomplish because the responsibility just being on the main like six of them that were in the first avengers movie should it like would not have been able to accomplish what they accomplished in endgame it was shown that they needed everyone at that in the iconic scene of the end yes, at the end of Endgame. Yeah. It shows that everyone was needed in that moment. Every single group came together and it was not not one person was had a more important role than everyone else. So if one person was kind of missing from there, it wouldn't have been as powerful. That absolute chills I got watching that scene. <sighs> I just mm-hmm. I don't know. I know everyone's speaking about how movie theaters are going to change and everything. But like, like I'm really uh, going to miss because I love watching in an energetic crowd like that. Yeah, that and was like special, that crowd. Yeah, it was great to have like all the screaming and the cheer and have that collective sense of like, oh my god, we all love this movie franchise and we're all watching this. Mm-hmm. And that was really fun. And I'm def- I definitely miss that now. Mm-hmm. And I will miss that as movie theaters change. The hype leading up to that, um, I feel like that one scene itself paid off for that week. Yeah, and I, I'm really excited to to talk a little bit more about your theater experience um, <laughs> a little bit later on. <laughs> but I, I am really struck by something that you all were just speaking to. I'm going to try to capture my train of thought as it pertains to some of how my own thinking has developed thematically in terms of even how I've approached 
looking at these movies in the podcast because I was really interested first off with looking at these people as individuals in the solo movies and looking at how their identity is shaped, looking at what it's actually really interesting, like something that in the Black Widow trailer in her voiceover, she says something about the choices you make. Uh, between the way that the world sees you and who you really are and like how those choices define you. And and that's, you know, seeing that in the trailer, like that's for me the thing that I was interested in exploring in this franchise. So that felt really good to be like, wow, yeah, like this is this is what it's really all about. It felt kind of validating. The boy's idea of double consciousness. Ooh. Of how you see yourself, how others see yourself, and how you see how others see yourself. Yes. Ooh. It's fascinating stuff. Uh, I was starting with that idea in using the solo movies, and then I said, okay, well, if we look at then the movies within the MCU that deal with the teams, how does that shift into an understanding of collective identity and the role of the individual within that? And I think it's so interesting how you all were just kind of speaking to this idea of what it means to be an Avenger. At a certain point, it was about Tony and Steve and Natasha and whoever else needing to maybe give up a little bit of their own pride or ego or whatever it may be to work as a team, right? To work as a group toward a a unified goal. But then over time, the idea of what it means to be an Avenger becomes so much larger or encompassing than just being on that team. And, and you said maybe it's more like a club. And I'm curious to, to hear what you mean by that. But my own thinking is, is based on what you all were saying, is that like you, you could be part of they could be part of different teams. They're, they're, they're the Guardians and they're the Doctor Strange group or whatever. But the what ties them together as being Avengers is not necessarily that they've all fought in the same battles, but because there's something deeper uh, to the the identity of Avenger. It's something they have in common. And uh, I think that's really, really cool. What I meant by club was mostly that I don't know if team could correctly be used for everyone. Mm-hmm. Because when I think of team, I think of collaboration. And right. that's too many people to collaborate with. Right. And so it's more of like a bunch of different smaller teams and like actions collaborating together within a giant club. Um, but I also think there's a bit of selfishness in this type of, particularly in Endgame, because everyone's fighting not only for the good of Earth, um, as some people are like Tony, because he has everything. Yes, he, he has Pepper and Morgan. But then other people have lost everyone, like Ant-Man, Scott. Um, Scott Lang, he's he has more of an individual need to fight because he's trying to get back who he lost. And so I feel like that's the difference there. Not that it makes him less of an Avenger or something, but I just think it's a interesting contrast for why they're fighting this battle particularly. Yeah, that's interesting. For for whom are the stakes more personal than for others? Mm-hmm. And I think there's something interesting here about the idea of, you know, what all along I was kind of interested in exploring as collective identity, you know, maybe there's a difference between a collective identity and then a shared identity that doesn't necessarily rely on teamwork and collaboration, but is just something maybe, I don't know, more... More of a status. Yeah, yeah, like a... Right. So something that I'm asking everyone, and I know it's a hard question, but if we go around, what is your number one favorite scene from Avengers Endgame. When oh. Bucky comes. Y'all are excited about this one. Well, I was going to say... Wait, can I guess, Brooke? Okay. You probably it's her know. her haircut. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, it's it probably was that just because it was me and Rachel when I like turned over and like, <laughs> ripped Rachel's arm really hard. That was my favorite. Who were you sitting next to? I was sitting next to Cassandra. I was sitting next to Rachel, no? Yeah, I know. Yeah. I was sitting next I, to then, you and then I was sitting next to my mom, I think. Because I remember viciously gripping your arm when Captain Marvel came on. Oh, we, we, had, like, we locked eyes. <laughs> so not the first time she, she arrives, but when she arrives no, with no, the haircut. No. no, when she had the haircut. Yeah, with the haircut. When she had the haircut. Yeah. Valid choice. And mm-hmm. Emily, yours is Bucky. I have a lot that I like, such <laughs> as I can go through a list. I will make it short. <laughs> um, is the... Oh, I can talk about a scene I hate, actually. Oh, okay. I hate we did not get to see the evolution of Professor Hulk. We, he just shows up with glasses <laughs> and clothes. I that love him. But I hate him. I, I love him, but I understand wanting to see how he gets that way. I also just miss Bruce Banner. Mm-hmm. Me too. Me too. He was one of my favorites. Oh my god, sorry. I just thought of She-Hulk. Oh my god, of, um, Tatiana Maslany. Tatiana Maslany as She-Hulk. And it's I- gonna be oh, amazing. But things I like is obviously America's ass. Um, <laughs> yes. The <laughs> elevator scene with <laughs> him being like not the Winter Soldier one, but mm-hmm. the mimic of it. Yeah. Where it's like Hail Hydra. Great. Where I was like, oh, Steve, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but language. <laughs> it's just like that infuriated me, but also so like. Oh, that's so funny. And then I also really liked Loki disappearing and Hulk being really mad at stairs. <laughs> <laughs> All great I, choices. Yeah, that time back in that um, era of New York 2012, that was like my favorite scenes mm-hmm. besides Bucky Barnes coming on screen with his leather jacket. But yeah. <laughs> and kind of in the inverse of Carol Danvers' haircut, he's got the long hair. Yeah. It's so greasy. Okay, I have so many, but I'm going to just focus on three to keep it brief. Um, obviously, when Captain America picks up the hammer is like, oh, yeah. I, ah! I can't I can't not mention that one mm-hmm. because that one is beautiful. That one gauged a reaction. Out oh, of yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, ooh, it was I was beautiful. screaming the whole time. <laughs> no, no, like, like, because I, I was reacting the whole time, but like, I'm not very vocal in terms like, of like my reactions. <laughs> Oh, for like the iconic minutes. Emily scream. It's so funny. It's just like I don't know. Every other second, there was something to be so excited about. I couldn't yes. stop. Oh, like, it was I so no, good. And I'm like, ah, oh my yeah. god. Yeah. And I just kept going. It just kept <laughs> building up. And then, like, I was even screaming when Tony died. Like, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I so agree that happening. that that movie was probably the most like reactive I think I've ever been for any movie ever. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that one oh, yeah. had so many moments. It was like, and it was universal too, which made it so special. Yes. Is that everyone was reacting the same time at the same things the same way? Oh, so, so my other two good. scenes. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. sorry, Rachel. <laughs> it's Hammer. okay. The next Hammer. one was um with the tacos like when the <laughs> ship arrives and and, <laughs> and the taco just falls out of his hand i don't know why i think that one's funny maybe just because i find ant-man hilarious just with everything he does every scene he's in because he he has such like a dry humor about him yeah that i just i love it and then the third one is when um 
I forget who turned into a baby, but one of the, wasn't it Scott also? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then they were like, he's going to grow. And it's like, he's like, no, that's a not baby. good that he's a baby. <laughs> so, yeah, I just wanted to say Cap, Captain, Steve, sorry, America, Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I, I, this is a great transition from favorite scenes into a great question posed by Rob Carrera. Who is the funniest Avenger? Oh, Scott Lang, I think. Yeah, I'm going to yeah, say Scott yeah. Lang. Mm-hmm. Oh, and kind of Rocket, but he's not funniest. He's just kind of funny. <laughs> but then the Guardians of the Galaxy, they're dynamic. Yeah. Particularly standing still. No, you cannot see me. Him <laughs> and yeah. Mantis. Like, him and Mantis, I think they have a very funny duo. You all have been alluding to your shared movie theater experience. <laughs> And I, so I know a little bit about that story and I kind of want y'all to get into that as well. But I also am hoping that you can speak a little bit to the hype surrounding Endgame and what that was like for, for you all in, in, in the, the days and months leading up to its release. It was December and I was in history class. <laughs> Not my history class disclaimer. It was in the middle of class and Billy just whips out his computer because he had notification <laughs> saying that it was out and he puts it on. And Miss Catania is like, oh, are we doing work? And I was like, no, we're watching something very important. We will do work right after. And that was literally it. And we just watched the trailer and we did work because we just had to see it. What were your feelings when you first saw that trailer? Very stressful. But also, looking back, it was um, effectively a trailer for the first five minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they tricked us that first five minutes. Like, that could have been its own movie as a whole also. And I feel like they really condensed that. <laughs> it was like, I want more. But also, I know that's not the whole movie. Previously, you guys had told me about your experience actually going because you all three were together right yeah Yeah. all right so tell me a little bit more about the experience of actually going to the theater to see endgame when it came out well we wanted to go early we knew because because of all of us not like going to see infinity war together and we were all kind of sporadic about it and then the hype after infinity war leading to endgame like there was like a zone of time oh, yeah. for like I, I months captain where, marvel was like our decision like okay so we're yeah seeing yeah together. yeah because we, we, we all saw marvel. captain marvel together okay so like so after good. that we were just kind of like yes we have to go see this movie and my mom was like i'm coming with you i don't care if it's yeah. with your friends we're doing it together and i was like all right sounds like a good plan but so we went because it was our senior year, we were also planning our Florida trip. And so our moms and Brooke <laughs> were in a group <laughs> together. However, it wasn't Brooke Pender. It was sister's friend, Brooke. And then she just pretended to be Brooke Pender. And Which is very essential to the story. Yeah. And Brooke was just getting no information about it. But it not being Brooke is important to the group chat. No, I, just, think we, I think that's the day we found out that it wasn't Brooke. How yeah, long has she I mean, been pretending to be me? For like a long time? Since they started, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so basically we're waiting online to get into the theater because the line went like out the back entrance door to like out in the hallway. This is and Mohegan was, Lake. Yeah, yeah Mohegan There are yeah. like 20 people in front of us, but yeah. it's all clumped together. <laughs> yeah, so we were waiting online and then my mom gets a text in this group chat by not Brooke. And it says, wait, does anyone remember what exactly it's no. Captain America dies. Oh, okay, yeah, it yeah, said yeah. That, okay. 
So it was very blunt like that, I guess. What I'm thinking now is why didn't your mom turn just to be like, Brooke. Brooke and be like, what are you like, saying? Like, Brooke, what did you say? Why did you just say that? She just didn't. <laughs> yeah, no, my mom just like instantly freaked out and was like, oh, a spoiler. And then <laughs> instead of keeping it to herself, she decided she was like, I found I'm going to bring you all down. All of, yeah. I'm pretty sure she said something like that. Like, I'm going to like, you all have to know. We all have to suffer together. And I'm going to tell you all. So then we all found out and we were all like kind of in a zone of freak out. And we were like, is that a reliable source? Who texted you that? <laughs> what is going on? And then I, it was hard to brush off, even though we knew yeah. it wasn't actually Brooke and they were probably messing with us. But like it still kind of set us in this like tense mode of like, what if they're right? And we just got the whole movie spoiled to us. <laughs> I still don't think we ever actually added Brooke herself no, into the group No, you didn't. I was chat. never in that group chat. <laughs> Somehow you made it to Florida, though, so... Yeah, so we made it back in one piece. <laughs> and Captain America so lived, funny. so everything's okay. Speaking of, what did you think of Captain America's ending? I'm going to speak with some other guests well, about Tony's ending more specifically and some of the other characters, but what did we think about Steve's ending? I liked it, kind of, I think. I think I liked it because I liked... Um, I don't know. I liked how they did it. I think it was tastefully done. Passing the baton, that whole thing. I thought it was nice. It's a love-hate for me because mm -hmm. I love Peggy. It kind mm -hmm. of ruined his arc of getting used to the new century and then automatically oh, going back true. to what he had left. Mm -hmm. But I also just really like Peggy. That was really fun. And I liked that it was moving on to Sam and everything. Although now the Falcon and the Winter Soldier has this really stupid tagline being like, who will wield the shield? Like, is it not <laughs> Sam? We <laughs> all thought it was Sam. Don't don't go don't go backseas on us. Yeah, I also liked I mean that could just be because I love Peggy and yeah. I, yeah, I think that's why I, <laughs> like because I agree. Like she's amazing. But um and I know that they were implying that it was that he's had like the feelings of wanting to go back the whole time. Like it wasn't like out of the blue and it could have been done so much worse to the point where it's like the way they did it was acceptable to say the least. The only thing it does is it basically, as Emily was saying, like erases kind of what happens like in his growth into the new century. And also with Peggy in agent Carter, everything she did afterwards, it kind of, erases that because he ends up going back and creating a new timeline so i, I have this thought that it doesn't and maybe this is just me wishful thinking with my interpretation but based on I, I think it's supported by the text because based on the way they explain how time travel works in the mcu i feel like i i don't want to take it or as erasing but more just creating an alternate branch of yeah it's just adding so she still marries daniel Sousa in the timeline that they live in that we see but then i think captain america would be in a different timeline and i also like to think that captain america goes and like stops winter soldier and stuff and prevents hydra from kicking over shield and so there's a lot of like headcan possibilities with that um I feel like a lot of it's just a framing issue. Yeah, I like the idea that, you know, whatever that alternate branch was or or could be exists, can coexist with the reality that we know and understand of the MCU, of Agent Carter, because it's a different, it's just different timeline. It's a different version of reality. That's how I kind of like to take it. Totally. Yeah, and something like with Steve is always he 
always feels out of place wherever mm-hmm. he is. Like even before everything, like he was so small that he felt like out <laughs> of place in that life. And then he became this like super soldier, which he feels out of place. And then he time travels pretty much and ends up 70 years in the future where he feels out of place. So then going back in time, it just continues that theme, which is so interesting for his character. He's never felt like he's had a complete sense of like where he was. Mm. If it's that makes inescapable. That's really sad. I know. Yeah. He, he has such a sad story when you really look at it. So I try to put it at arm's length away, but it's hard because I love looking at Steve. so So then it's fun to imagine the alternate timelines that they may have made because then it's like you can imagine one where he feels comfortable with himself you can do it all day and then of course when you know you guys were just speaking so nicely to this idea of like him always kind of being out of time and out of place but he also gets the chance to see you know not too many years like uh in the past version of himself in this movie when he kind of fights with himself. And and I was curious, Emily, I, I imagine that you are probably a fan of the fact that the thing that he gets his other version of his self to kind of like drop his guard on is saying Bucky is alive. Yeah, I like that. It's also <laughs> like it comes out of nowhere for this other Steve who's living in 2012 to just be like, the hell are you saying? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. Like everyone, I, I like to imagine like it's because he's like, oh Bucky's alive my best friend like love of my life is alive and everything or it could also just be like the hell is Loki know about Bucky like the fuck is he saying right like there are two possibilities that he could be thinking yeah I don't know there I do love that scene it's pretty cool (laughs) also I would love like a mini series of just him back in time missing all the things that were invented like in the future mm-hmm. like imagine he like goes to do something and he's like oh that hasn't been invented yet captain america founder of apple <laughs> oh my gosh oh it, it would make um tony stark so upset too so like funny. if if he's actually like a close family friend because he's like a famous inventor <laughs> that's really funny what if right Well, thank you all for joining me once again. And it's always a blast to speak with all of you. Blast to you too. (laughs) (laughs) If you enjoyed this discussion about Avengers Endgame, please consider leaving a rating and review. You can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you once again heard from in this episode, and who you can follow on Instagram at bpenderillustrations. Music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening and join me in a couple of weeks for the second part of the multi-episode Avengers Endgame extravaganza. Happy holidays, everyone. <laughs>